Hello, and welcome to this episode of the Alien Familiar Podcast. I am Clayton. I'm Kyle. I'm Haley. I'm Nina. I'm Jordan. And you can find show notes and more about our podcast at alienfamiliar.com. You can email us at alienfamiliarmedia at gmail.com. You can share and like us on Facebook at facebook.com slash alienfamiliar. And on our website, alienfamiliar.com, we have all sorts of useful links, including links to Jordan's Apocalyptia, where you can find it on DriveThruRPG. Version 2.0 is out now. And our topic for today, we are going to be talking about, just in general, the fantasy genre. Kind of what is and is not fantasy, and what is needed to make a fantasy game. And I kind of want to open it up with, because everybody kind of seems to have their own opinion as to what is and is not fantasy. For some people, fantasy is only set in a, in a medieval time or earlier. For other people, Star Wars is absolutely fantasy and it is not sci-fi. So I kind of want to find out from everybody here kind of what they feel is and is not fantasy. What is what is needed to have a fantasy and what are some of the tropes that you so commonly associate with fantasy? Um, I think it's really interesting that you bring up Star Wars right off the bat because I know a lot of people classify it as sci-fi. I uh, personally classify it as fantasy because sci-fi is science fiction where it takes fact and fiction where fantasy takes fiction to fiction. So I think it's very important at least in my mind, to separate those two. So when we talk about fantasy, it's talking about more imaginative and creative ways to reason things for a world, whereas sci-fi talks about taking factual parts of a universe and adding new logic to it for that world. I think that is a partially true argument, but a little bit oversimplified, maybe? Only because... I know that uh, a very common thing, and one thing I like about sci-fi, common thing to analyze when looking at sci-fi is its tendency to take something happening in present day, <clears throat> whether it be a new technological development, political unrest, uh, social movement, and take it to the extreme years in the future, this has become a dominant thing, and look at our present day lives through this lens I, I think that's that that itself, what I just said, is also an oversimplification of sci-fi. Um, but it's also not the only thing that sci-fi does. I think that to look at fantasy as none of this is factual, it is purely fiction, it's all made up, is not entirely true. I agree. I think there's better ways I could phrase what I mean. And I agree with your statements. I think you've explained it better than I could have. But I'm saying is is that where sci-fi starts with a base of facts, fantasy starts with a base of creativity that then is reason is applied ah, to Ah, so it. sci-fi isn't creative for you. No, I know, no, I know. I'm just digging myself into a grave. Um, I'm just saying, ah, uh, somebody else speak, please. <laughs> What do you consider fantasy, Jordan? Fantasy, in my opinion, is the the type of fiction that doesn't particularly care about being self-referentially coherent. The rules in fantasy are pretty loose. You can always just kind of wave your hands and say, well, because of magic. And there, there is that in sci-fi to an extent. I mean, you know, the old 
bounce it off the deflector dish trope from Star Trek. Faster than light travel. It's just don't talk about it. It just exists. Right. But <laughs> it asks less of you to just go ahead and accept, you know, here's a couple of foundational breakthrough technologies that we don't have right now. That's the reason that it's not a modern thing. And then everything else is kind of expected to, to work at least within its own rules. Whereas fantasy stuff, at, at any time you can come across a wizard who's got some spell that does some crazy thing that you never heard of, or an artifact that does the same. It's a lot more wide open. That's what separates the two in my mind anyway. One of the things. And that does back up what you were saying, Haley, about sci-fi having typically nuggets of cohesion or truth to it with a mango habanero dipping sauce <laughs> for the nuggets. Why are you like this? <laughs> I, I like mango habanero dipping sauce. Is that a problem? Sounds really good. Okay, anyway. The dichotomy between fantasy and sci-fi, to me, falls in what Haley was talking about and Kyle was talking about for something that is purely made up versus something that is based on something in fact. So I very broadly categorize most things on that are in popular media now as fantasy to just go right down the line. Since I brought up uh, star Wars, I will, I will identify what is sci-fi and star Wars and what is fantasy and star Wars. What is fantasy and star Wars long, long ago in a galaxy far, far away. That is how fairy tales begin. So right off the bat opening crawl of the original star Wars, you're being told that this is a fantasy. There are sci-fi elements to it, but I feel like there really aren't that many sci-fi elements to it. The elements would be the androids walking around that operate on no knowable laws. The Jedi, however, and the Force and all of that, until it was ruined, did not operate on... Metachlorians. <laughs> yes. Did not operate on any sort of known laws. It was something that you felt. It was something that you had an emotional, spiritual connection to. And that is, to me, what good fantasy is. Is that fantasy speaks to that emotional, spiritual level in some way. Whether it's tackling morality, whether it is just telling a a romping story it always seems to go down to having that core to it. Do you think sci-fi doesn't? No, I think the sci-fi does do it in that goes back to everything has a little bit of fantasy in it. The core of sci-fi to me is in its basis in reality, taking something that we have now and taking it, taking it to an extreme or taking it to a what is what the author believes is a predictable point and the human stories arise out of that and the human stories are just a way of relating to to the world grounding yourself into the world in which like some sort of advanced technology is required in order to tell a story i think you might be onto something there with human stories i just air quoted I, I lean more towards sci-fi in my liking of fiction. And one reason for that is that it takes whatever question you can think of or or advance or dilemma you can think of, and it takes it as far in the future or as far to a different galaxy or time as you want to go, but it maintains this is how a human might navigate that. 
whereas a lot of fantasy tends to incorporate mm, ways of thinking or or species or fairy tale fantasy tropes that don't necessarily have to be this is how a human deals with that and that's not where the, the story sort of spawns from what do you guys think i think of star trek and how star trek is sci-fi because even whenever they're tackling social issues they're tackling something that is that is present that it is something that is real in the real world and they're taking it to a point where the author thinks it can go in the future and telling a story using that something that would be fantasy like for instance game of thrones very definitely fantasy i don't see a lot of real world parallels of what we are experiencing now in what's happening in game of thrones i know that from what i've read george R. R. martin based a lot of the story of game of thrones on the war of the roses mm-hmm. Again, that's hearkening back to something from the past, telling a familiar story in some way, even if it is changed to the point where it's nearly unrecognizable. A question. Is it related? Because I have a thought that directly spins off of that. It's related, but I think yours is going to be more related. Sidebar about Game of Thrones, that is one thing I, or one reason why I really enjoyed Game of Thrones, the books anyway. I haven't watched too much of the series. That's really Um, good. It is... The granularity with which it tells its stories, uh, character level especially, it even though it is based, I didn't actually know it was based on War of the Roses. That's cool. I don't know if that's a fact. That's just it something is a I read. fact. Sorry, I just I, I read a lot of that. Even though it is based on a historical war, and I think it does a great job of, as George R. R. can interpret it, telling what a human story might be like in that time. Plus some dragons and some old magic that, you know, kind of comes into existence finally after everybody thought it was gone. For some reason, to me, I don't know, the the character and and human stories there feel more relatable and believable than something like um, Tolkien's works, which I also really like. Uh, it's, It's harder for me to, I guess, identify with, maybe? If that makes any sense? Yeah. The thing I was going to bring up was about how you had mentioned how sci-fi is taking something and bringing it to the extreme in the future tense, while fantasy often relies on basing itself off of something from the past and expanding on it. Do you think that it is part of the trope to only have a future relate to sci-fi and past relate to fantasy, or is that just something that happens to happen a lot? Because I know that you can have urban fantasy, but I haven't heard a lot about past tense sci-fi. I think yes to both of those, um, both of those extremes, because in Star Trek, Q is God. <laughs> yeah, Q is um, God. There's no other way to, like, there's no other way of describing it, just describing that character and that that uh, continuum of characters. And on the sci-fi end, retro sci-fi is huge. Steampunk, diesel punk. That's what I was going to ask, If isn't steampunk just... See, I don't know. Sci-fi. It's kind of like fantasy. The fantasy of, like, what if this world was like that? What if... I, I mean, like, it, it's, like, on the border. Like, if fantasy and sci-fi was a spectrum, it would be, like, leading sci-fi, but I feel like it'd be in the middle. I don't know. I don't know. I just I, I wholeheartedly consider it steampunk I, sci-fi. I think sci-fi and fantasy are two different axes. 
because you can have really far sci-fi and really high in the sci-fi and also really high in the fantasy. Oh, what was it? The Foundation series, Asimov, Asimov. Mm-hmm. where it's set in like so far in the future that it's it might as well be a like a complete fantasy. Still, at the same time, though, it's not um, the the real split between the two. To me, is the supernatural and. By that, I I mean specifically magic in sci-fi. Even if you're talking about something as outrageous as like Q or any of the other like really powerful Star Trek aliens, there's there's always kind of a hint that, yeah, they're super powerful. They're wildly more powerful than us, and, you know, we have no way of comprehending what it is. But it's always kind of presumed that there is something that makes sense about it. Like a... Uh, What's the guy, the traveler that the Wesley Crusher mm-hmm. meets? Um, you know, he he kind of touches on that a little bit, how there's just all this other stuff to reality that we just haven't figured out yet. And Q says some similar suggestive kinds of things. But there's there's always a hint that there's an objective reality, whether or not we get all of it. With fantasy stuff, it's all based in the occult. It's it's all this stuff from, you know, the, the netherworld, the astral plane, whatever, that, like, we can kind of mess with a little bit, but is we're, we're mostly victims of. And there's, <laughs> there's very little hope that, you know, humans will ever be able to deal with that. Like, I don't know, sci-fi seems a lot more optimistic as far as the, the trajectory of, of human progress. That's kind of its foundations. Whereas fantasy, it... It always feels to me like it's more like a, a survival thing, you know, like we're prairie dogs trying to hide in our holes when the dragon swoops over or, you know, figure out how to not be completely crushed under heel by the, the wizard or what have you. The counter I will posit to that is Harry Potter. Yep. <laughs> it's a very optimistic story that's set in the fantasy realm. Um, it's mm. about like d- killing people that aren't wizards, and everyone no, dies, and it's, it's really a sad. very optimistic story of overcoming Nazis, wizard Nazis. <laughs> they're gone <laughs> by the end of the storyline, basically. Well, oh, they're, they're there. I think one thing that makes Harry Potter solidly fantasy is just like what you just said, Jordan. In Harry Potter, or just about any other fantasy thing I can think of, either you have it. Or you don't. Oh, I wasn't claiming and, it wasn't fantasy. Oh, no, yeah, totally. Yeah. Um, uh, just spinning off points. Like, okay. Um, no, I, I agree with you. Um, and it, it also in that it is a very optimistic, overcoming Nazis <laughs> story. Um, uh, but in, in fantasy, either you have it or you don't. You're either a rando human that will never have access to these supernatural abilities or powers, um, or you have them uh, to some degree. And in sci-fi, I think that is a very common theme that might make it seem possibly more optimistic at first glance, is that even something like the Q or those um, uh, first episode of Star Trek Next Generation, the encounter at Farpoint, those those wacky giant space octopi squid things made of light, you know, all of these things that are crazy and might be fantasy, within the context of that reality, that could be something that humans might someday evolve to. Beings of energy, beings of light, being a common end of the evolutionary spectrum and beginning of another spectrum jumping off from there. There's always that chance that through study or through time, you might achieve those powers, whatever they may be. 
um, whereas fantasy definitely segregates it. This is not an original thought of mine, but is something that I'm reminded of. Somebody categorized uh, fantasy and sci-fi into a very, a very simplest, two very simplistic terms. Fantasy is regressive. Sci-fi is progressive. Regressive being looking back to the past, no matter how the past actually was, but looking back and seeing, well, there was like very set rigid tiers of people and that's how it was and look at how great things were back then <laughs> whereas the more progressive exactly Stop. whereas like the more progressive sci-fi is more looking toward this is a possible future where again grossly oversimplifying but people have the ability to become more whether they are fighting for to have more against a mega corporation or whether it is a futuristic utopia where people do have all of their um, their needs met and are free to um, engage themselves in the pursuit of just going out and exploring this cosmos. What are your guys' thoughts on spinning right off along these lines? Sci-fi portraying stories where there is a baseline adoption, or if, if not adoption, at least knowledge and awareness of many things that allow a larger networked community, um, be they faster than light travel or radio communication. You might, you know, there's a lot of, I mean, look at Tatooine, those people have next to nothing, but everybody knows there are starships and FTL and communicators and all sorts of things, moisture collectors, collectors. Whereas I think in fantasy, a lot of stories there might focus on, oh, I'm a simple farm guy, and holy shit, there's magic. <laughs> I didn't know about that at all. I think that's an oversimplification of the concept of fantasy, because most of the fantasy that I read is, is urban fantasy. Like, I don't... The only one that I've read that takes place in, like, oh, I'm a farm boy, would be uh, Tolkien. I've read a lot of urban fantasy, and they're, uh, farm boy is a poor choice. No, I know, but, but, I, but the concept, like, the, the only one that I find that fits that is is Tolkien and, like, the Hobbits and stuff like that. Like, everything I read is urban fantasy. They know about magic. It's... Everyone in the city knows about magic. No. So no, but there, there is a well, yeah, but there is a community, and it, it, I find that it like oh. the only one that I think of that can focus on somebody that finds magic is Harry Potter, which I, I keep going back to, but it's okay. only because I know um, much about it. I think something that uh, that like branches both of those ideologies is the thing that sci-fi has this very much explored open universe where if you're playing specifically like an RPG, for example, like everybody knows this lore, everybody knows what's going on in the universe, and you get to go and discover it as it's already been laid out for you. Whereas in fantasy, specifically in an RPG setting, you're mostly like in a small town or you're with a tavern or an adventure's guild and you go along and discover things as with with the world rather than discover things in the world. So for example, like you're playing a bunch of humans and you discover that you have magical abilities and stuff. You're discovering the possibilities of this world as it's being created. Where sci-fi things have already been brought to this extreme there's already, like, so much of it done where I feel like fantasy is the act of creating it. 
Haley, you may have explained, but I was trying to say better than I explained it. Uh, savor that. That's, Thank that's you. your one. <laughs> Thanks. I'm gonna, it's my redemption for my really shitty opening to this podcast. Now, I'm about to talk about something that I know next to nothing about, but I think it's a very good example of urban fantasy being the Dresden Files. Yeah. yeah. There were several of those. Because I've, I've not yet <clears throat> been able to read the books. I have their first trilogy at home. For a man on. who wears a chapeau, you should definitely read them. <laughs> They're so good. <laughs> so I've heard. <laughs> My ex-roommate, Jenny, is, like, obsessed with the Dresden Files. Like, I think she's getting, like, a you tattoo. You call her your friend. Well, she is my friend, but I know her exclusively because I lived don't with her. Know them, so. uh, I am friends with one Our person named don't Jenny. Really need they to don't know care. Her hair. Oh wow! Sorry, but <laughs> I have friends, listeners. They exist. <laughs> care about them. I think you're just making this all up. I think I think it's your fantasy. Please tell us yep. about Jenny. Your imaginary friend. Wow. Well, my imaginary ex-roommate, Jenny, she is obsessed with the Dresden Files, and often she would try to explain it to me, and I know very little about it, but basically it's like this this really interesting, like, urban fantasy world where things are really dark and sad and cogs speak, I think. Okay, so, um, I want to let someone who's read KP, the book would you like to talk about the Dresden Files? <laughs> well, Clayton, all of you are probably going to cut all of that. Go ahead and talk about the Dresden Files, what you were going to say. I was actually going to open up to, <laughs> to somebody who has no, actually no, read the series read because them. I I only know what I have heard about <laughs> the Dresden Files and what I have heard about the Dresden Files is it still follows the regressive ideology of there are these groups who inherently have these abilities that other people will never be able to get. The casts uh, or um, all the classes of, of society, different right. societies interacting and there's no way to really bridge from one group into the other. And that is why Dresden's a cool character for me is he, obviously for literary sake and for the reader's sake, but um, also within his characterization in the story, he is that bridge. Um, and he often deals, and maybe I'm wrong, um, I, you know, I've read a decent amount of urban fantasy, but probably not the same series you have, Nina. It seems to me that in the ones I've read, there's a very common trope of your average human doesn't know anything about this. It's it's the veil. It's the big enigma. And I, the character, will tell you all about this crazy thing that is right underneath your nose. Um, in, in Dresden's case, uh, he, he is this noir detective who takes odd jobs and is one of the only magic users, and, and indeed people aware of these other worlds and, and societies and, and beings, that openly in newspapers puts out ads saying, you need supernatural help, chief? Come to me. I have an office. I have an old wooden desk with scotch on it because I'm a detective. Uh. Um, and there are rules that your average human won't understand. There are a few like police officers that Dresden works with who knows he's into some wacky shit, but they don't want to know. They, they, they just don't think about it. They don't deal with it. They know it's there. They don't care about it. Um, they're just there to be a cop. Um, and don't think about it, Morty. <laughs> <laughs> um, oh, Rick and Morty, sci-fi or fantasy, guys? Sci-fi? Sci finish. Finish. I'm so sorry. <laughs> um, I mean, I'm trying to think of how... So I, I guess that there's one way I, I just mentioned that the Dresden Files is or could be regressive is that a lot of the surface polish in that series, even though it's set in ostensibly present day, 
harkens back at least to like 1940s era. Dresden openly has a very uh, sort of classic chivalry view towards women. And he admits it. And he's like, a lot of people don't like that I do it. I Listen, I, I know about it, but I, it's what I do. Um, it, there are, you know, tropes you see in, in 40s movies and TV. But more than that, this idea that your average human, your average wealthy executive on Wall Street, the elite of our society now, is really just in the lowest caste of the low because they don't know shit about vampires. They don't know shit about magic talking skulls named Bob. I guess that is their big core of the series. And then the other urban fantasy stuff I've read, too, that humans need to be protected sort of a thing. I think I did misunderstand you at first. And also, I'm very, um, I've discovered just now I'm very protective of fantasy. And the way you've been painting it is like this bleak storyline where it's regressive and, you know, we're victims of it. Like, I think I just got really defensive there for a hot second. <laughs> Tell us about your tales of optimism, then. Regressive doesn't necessarily mean bad. Oh, I know. Be- because it is hearkening back to a time when things were better. I know. And progressive doesn't necessarily mean good and shiny. I can think of plenty of dark sci-fi. Sure. In the grim world of Warhammer 40k, there is only war. (laughs) So I'm going to change the title of this episode to sci-fi versus fantasy. (laughs) (laughs) Because you can't like both. I don't know what you expected with KP here. I didn't even know this was our topic today. (laughs) (laughs) My gloves are always just at arm's reach to strap on and duke it out for sci-fi. I have a question. What? What? (laughs) I have a question. Books like The Giver and Handmaid's Tale and stuff like that. Fuck you. No, 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 no. <laughs> Nothing at all with what you're saying. I just recalled that when I was a child, I thought it was... I saw the book in, the, in like, the book ordering things we got, and I thought it was pronounced... I thought it was The Giver. No. Like, you did that too? <laughs> oh, thank God! Oh, thank Jesus! Um, can we, can we, can we, can it was we, The Giver for a long time. I, I'm sorry. I didn't I'm know sorry, that The Giver no. was you, fantasy. I always assumed it was about high, Nazis, and high, that's why I never high. read it. Let me ask my question. Okay. Would you consider books like The Giver and Handmaid's Tale sci-fi or fantasy? I consider them horror. Oh! <laughs> they scare me. Well! <laughs> they scare me. <laughs> They're not meant to be. Well, well, well. Handmaid's well, Tale. Handmaid's Tale well. <laughs> yeah. But, uh, like, Margaret Atwood. They, they walk the line, I think. I haven't read Handmaid's Tale. I know the sort of story. But um, I, I don't know enough to, to talk about that one. Well, I read it in sixth grade, and I would not be able you to... You read it in the sixth grade? I would not be able to accurately tell you. Because <laughs> sixth grade. Um, it's based been a, it's been a on what I've read else by Margaret Atwood, I'd probably say she leans more towards the fantasy side. I have called it sci-fi. Yeah, I think it's dystopian sci-fi. <laughs> yeah. It's just... The Giver as well, I just can't read I don't know much about The I'm, Giver. I'm not familiar either. I thought The Giver was about Nazis. That's a, a lot of things about Nazis. That's, that's, um, that's, that's a stretch, but like not as much of a one as you would expect. Um, in The Giver and Gathering Blue, I forget if that's a sequel or a prequel, but same author. I'm pretty sure same author. Um, Handmaid's Tale. It's uh, Stories like that. Is it true that these seemingly godlike powers that the elite have... Those end up being explained and their towers come crashing down when people realize, right, that these are things that are just, they're they're keeping this from us. That's kind of the core of it. Yeah, but that's because they're both dystopian. Hmm. Like, I feel like that's more of a facet of the dystopia than it is about 
sci-fi versus fantasy. It could be neither. The thing is, like, I was just curious because I, I found every time I read those or books like them, they, they, they walk the line and it's very, there's aspects of sci-fi, i.e. like advanced technology and stuff like that. But then they give her, the book starts out with nobody able to, nobody's able to see color. Like, it's mm-hmm. just all in black and white. And that's not better. Well, it, 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 uh, it's kind of explained. Um, but not through science. So, but there are like scientific advances in that book. And I don't know. It walks the line. I was just curious. The giver's on my mind a lot. Mm-hmm. Do you think dystopias can only be in sci-fi? Because I'm trying to think of any mm-hmm. fantasy dystopias and I can't really think of any. I would like there to, are. I would like to kind of focus just, I think we've argued to an impasse about sci-fi versus fantasy yeah, so right now sorry. i want to shift specifically to um to fantasy tropes mm-hmm. because i right. definitely want to tackle sci-fi and in particular i want to devote a whole episode to dystopia sci-fi okay oh, cool we could shelve it well one thing that kind of cracks me up with fantasy be it movies or books or um games that have come out really just in the last like 10 or 15 years maybe is how, how the creators have to try to bend over backwards to make it to, to sort of shoehorn in modern progressive humanist values into hmm. the stories that they're telling a lot of times when the truth of the matter is that the the entire genre comes out of you know pagan mythology infused with medieval Christian morality, but and that amounts to really dark things. That's why we called it the Dark Ages. Surprise! The past sucked. Yeah, um, <laughs> but D and D and you know women doing anything but bearing children and you know being persecuted as witches and being burned at the stake. Yeah, that's... yeah, but in real life history, there's like five examples of women who didn't do that. Yeah, so. you could totally find <laughs> five women across a thousand years that bucked the system and eventually. I'm exaggerating. At the stake. No, I'm agreeing. <laughs> I'm not looking at you, Jordan. <laughs> yeah, it's me. He's looking at me. <laughs> <clears throat> you are yes. Unfortunately, Jordan was in the line of sight when I was looking at. You. <laughs> That might also be a reason why I lean towards sci-fi, is that with th- this idea that you can be anything, do anything, become anything, whatever, um, you know, once the veil is lifted and you know the truth. Uh. <laughs> um, Kyle, I find it really interesting that you have um, just <laughs> held onto this claim that uh, sci-fi is great because science is the great equalizer. Like, that's basically what you've been saying. Magic, like, magic exists as an equalizer in fantasy as well. But anybody has access to science. Magic is almost, in everything I've ever read, magic is either unattainable by everyone or requires such rigid study that only an an elite few can devote themselves to it, much like what passed for science in the Middle Ages. Magic makes you special. Science makes you like everybody else. And I know that's really mean, <laughs> that but I is think a great it's quote. true. <laughs> I know I'm not special. No, my so God, stop! No, you're perfect. Sci-fi, because yeah. I know I can acquire these things. But whereas I'm just a fairy changeling, and I know it, so I'm in that boat. Oh. Why aren't we making deals? Uh, because changelings always have to keep well, their you promises. Already owe, and you you already owe me a favor, so... Just, mm. That's unfortunate for you, isn't it? 
So what is required for something to be fantasy? I'm going to say magic. Like some type of hand-waving ability of, oh, this exists because of magic, like Jordan was saying. Something super Or at least something mystified. Not not one word. It's something that is super natural. I think it's kind of interesting how in... Uh, again, in modern fantasy stuff, and now by modern, I really mean like 20th century stuff, our idea of what magic is has changed a lot from what it was for every century prior when we had such a concept. Because before, it was religion. It was some kind of religion. And, you know, witchcraft was whatever the religion of the the non-dominant people was. And in in modern fantasy it's more like superpowers it's more like the x-men and you can just learn some more superpowers but you know in in every fantasy thing prior to that it's always appealing to spirits and you know praying to pagan gods and this and that and the other you know sacrificing and what have you and there really wasn't a distinction between getting your power from a deity and just you know waving your fingers and making something happen you know all the all the medieval demon summoning stuff. It looks a lot like D and D with weird runes and whatever kind of thing, but you're still trying to channel some supernatural thing. Well, to well as you know, D and D comes from witches. It's from Satan. As we all know. <laughs> <laughs> I definitely think that the element of mysticism and something that's supernatural is important to the world. I also think that to have something to be fantasy, there has to be an element of not. Uh, like otherworldliness, but there has to be something that very clearly differentiates every day from not every day. In playwriting, there's a technique about the why today, and it's supposed to like everything's normal, but you're only focusing on this story for this amount of time because today is different. And I think to have a fantasy setting, there needs to be that level of why today in almost everything, whether that is magic the creation of characters questing while not necessary often is one of the biggest tropes in fantasy to have a character or a group of people go on a quest as something that they have to complete. I feel like to have a successful fantasy world campaign or story, there always needs to be an element of why today. I'm not sure what you mean by that. Why today is in like Johnny Farmer boy plowing the fields goes home and sleeps. That's boring. The why today is Johnny Boy goes out into the field, star falls, and all of a sudden he has magical powers. I think that's just a story thing. You can you can write a boring sci-fi story. I do think, although I more agree with Nina, the concept of... I'm going to tell a story about a, a police officer, a very run-of-the-mill police officer, in the year 2090. Like, yes, there needs to be an element of interest in every story. But it could be a lot more fascinating to show how this police officer solves crimes, investigates, communicates, travels, and that might be enough so that a seemingly pretty mundane thing, Johnny Farmer Boy gets up and goes to bed, could be bashed together as a an interesting story in sci-fi, but is perhaps, I wouldn't even maybe say, definitely less interesting in fantasy. 
I would like to rephrase this in like infinity. There's always a chosen one. There's always somebody who has to do the thing. Yeah. Frodo needs to get the ring. Mm-hmm. You know, like um, like Buttercup needs to be rescued so she can marry Wesley. Just like there's so many. Like when it comes to fantasy, there always has to be somebody that sets them apart from everybody else. Like their why today is greater focused. Mm-hmm. I'm going to stick with my thing that that's just a story thing. I'm going to stick I, with my thing. Like, the protagonist is always special in every single story. I don't know. There's a lot of unspecial no. people. The Expanse. Who's special in that? Right. Okay. That's a good example. Okay. Fantasy, right. <laughs> fantasy is definitely much more married yep. to the monomyth. The, the hero's journey is at the core of every fantasy thing I can think of. Yeah, uh... Not to belabor it, but sci-fi does tend to be more of a group effort. It's it's about crews. D&D tries to make it about a crew, but it's not really about a crew. No. I see fantasy as the impetus of the adventure being something that is sometimes literally, sometimes figuratively, the hand of God coming down and selecting yeah. somebody for a mm-hmm. great task. Whereas in sci-fi it's more some extraordinary shit happens to an ordinary person and they have to rise to the occasion Hmm. i think that's really wise so is this something that could be a fantasy exclusive thing the concept of the ignorant masses no dystopia (laughs) always Hmm. but against that because dystopia have to be sci-fi future topic we'll talk about it then No, but there are sci- um, sci-fi dystopias, so mm-hmm. it's not a specifically fantasy thing. No, I think it was asking is a specifically sci-fi thing. Or, yeah. No, I, I said it was asking if it was a fantasy thing. Oh, okay. Um, I, I don't think you could have an actual fantasy world that that is like well thought out in the consequences of the things that it's introducing into human civilization without it being a dystopia. Well, and that's kind of what I'm getting at. I can't think of a single fantasy story that doesn't have the ignorant masses. I can think of several sci-fi stories that don't have that exact concept. Um, may not be exclusive, yeah. but perhaps it's common place. Yeah. For everything that we're saying, there is always some subgenre sure. that turns that on its head. That's that's why subgenres exist. I mm-hmm. think it might be th- the reason for that. Might be calling back to where stories of magic came from i.e. the pagans the people that weren't like in the main religion like magic has always been seen as a secretive and um outsider thing so that that might be why the ignorant masses exist in all, all a lot of fantasy so magic was invented by hipsters no <laughs> invented by the persecuted yeah yeah but you know the the un Involved masses. They're they're so mainstream. They don't know what's really no, going on. That's not what I mean. Well, even even with the mainline religion, you know, in the Middle Ages, only the the priesthood could and the educated elite could read Latin, and so you know, the religion itself, the the actual text was technically occult to everyone mm-hmm. who followed it. Mm-hmm. You tried to read that Bible and interpret it your own way, you're burned to the cross. Yeah, <laughs> or just schism the Catholic Church. Um, I know I had mentioned it jokingly before, but I said elves, and uh, as a joke, but in reality, I think there's some level of non-humanism, 
And I think that could also translate it to sci-fi. But specifically for fantasy, there's like, you know, there's always elves, dwarves, dragons, something other than humanity. There, And I guess that can fall under the category of supernatural. But, you know, you tell me a great fantasy storyline that doesn't have something of like otherness even in game of thrones where everyone's technically human you have like daenerys who's like a freaking dragon mom and we got Tyrion, and Tyrion there's just and, a human yeah, yeah i know the red priestesses gave birth to shadow baby uh you know uh there's just a sub level of otherness that exists i definitely agree with that especially and to the point where sci-fi that has aliens I consider that a, a fantasy element yeah. because until it's proven otherwise to me, aliens will always be fantasy. Uh, I tell y'all the that truth the equation. <laughs> the truth is out there, Clayton. You went for the Drake um, equation. I was just like, disclosure, where is it? Uh, what, what is about the, the Drake equation? Paradox? No, 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 this is actually really, what is it? Um, <laughs> the Drake equation is essentially a way to quantify the probability that in a universe as large as ours, with as many stars that it has, as many uh, planets that orbit those stars in the Goldilocks zone, not too hot, not too cold, basically it's, it's, it's quantifying the probability that life exists outside of Earth. What is it? What number? Uh, it depends I, on the variables. <clears throat> yeah. Oh. It, it's, it's, it's a long string of variables that you need to, you know figure out and we're only you know uh, we're, we're we are but specs ignorant specs and most universe. of the variables in this equation are just guessed at <laughs> yeah. my favorite way if we can get back to the fantasy thing. sorry <laughs> um, i just i get distracted by aliens i just wanted to say talking about game of thrones versus other fantasy stuff um i'd venture to guess that probably one of the reasons why you find it very relatable is because there is very little Aside from humans, yeah, there's dragons and there's the White Walkers, but they're like a huge deal that's definitely the exception. There's not an island of elves in the mountain range where the dwarves live or anything like that. What's going on is what humans are doing. And I think that the relatability of fantasy is proportional to, or inversely proportional, I guess, to how many other non-human powers there are in the world. Like, Tolkien is just kind of out the window for me as far as that goes. It's, I, I can't imagine what it's like to be a human living in, you know, Gondor. It's absurd. Half the, half the things that are encountered are either its own, like, its own unique thing and not a species, mm-hmm. or it represents some species that is somewhere else, but, and we're plentiful over there, but here, I'm the only one. Mm-hmm. Why do you think Tolkien has become the staple of fantasy? Because he was a popular author whenever the baby baby boomers came into uh, their thing. The hippies, yeah. They latched onto the Hobbit lifestyle and thought it was great. Um, And the anti-war messages Mm. in it. Also, it's fun to read, guys. (laughs) That's all right. (laughs) I think it's fun to read, guys. (laughs) I'm more of a Robert E. Howard guy myself. Doesn't surprise me, actually. Well, that's that's another example of a, a fantasy setting where there isn't a whole lot besides humans. You might be asking what they've written. Uh, Robert E. Howard is Conan. the yeah he's the author that created Conan, and um, I mean, in in some ways, 
it's kind of pushing like a, a historical sci-fi almost because a lot of the stuff that that Conan will encounter are like the equivalent of like Neanderthals, something like that. You know, like it doesn't really stretch the imagination too much. It, it doesn't ask a whole lot of you. There are a few exceptions, but you know, the, the magic is very, very subtle. You know, nothing is very over the top mm-hmm. for the most part. Well, wasn't, wasn't Conan specifically supposed to be taking place in the Hyborian age of earth yeah. in what is now Europe, mostly in Europe. Yeah, he's like some kind of pre-Ice Age lost civilization sort of thing. Well, back, you and I had a cool conversation, Jordan, about a fantasy series that is the antithesis to Conan that you liked a lot. Mm-hmm. Michael you Moorcock, the right. Elric saga, um, Elric of Melnibene. Um Why is it the antithesis? Talk about it a little bit. Okay, so um, where Conan is very much the, the ubermensch, you know, big muscular guy, kind of dumb, but... Gets through by a force of will. Um, I disagree with he's, Howard's Conan being dumb. He's somewhat clever. You know, he's got the thief background and those sorts of skills and stuff, but he definitely looks down his nose at scholars and, and learning quite a bit. Uh, he's, you know, he's about physical power. So in Elric, uh, the title character, Elric, is the complete inverse. He's... Um, He's something like an elf. Melnibonaeans are very elf-like, but he's anemic. He's an albino. He <laughs> he lays around um, studying sorcery all the time, and uh, it isn't until he finds a sword that is possessed by a demon, or is a demon, called Stormbringer, that he actually goes out in the world and does a whole lot of hack-and-slash kind of stuff, but... That world is also fairly low magic, but there's a lot more of it than in um, Hyboria. But it is an interesting example of a modern fantasy, fairly modern fantasy, that does go back to the actual historical roots of of magic, where all of the, the sorcery that's done is summoning an elemental or a demon or something like that and making some kind of bargain with them often binding them to some item to imbue that item with power or just having them go off and do something for you rather than like throw a fireball that that never happens in that world but it's it's also mostly humans um you brought up anti basically anti-fantasy mm-hmm. fantasy something that goes out of its way to subvert known tropes one of my favorite Dungeons and Dragons campaign settings does this, and that is Dark Sun. Um, it it has the elves, the um, the halflings, the dwarves, but they're not the Tolkien versions of these races that we all know and love. These are much darker versions that I have come to love, such as the halflings are a bunch of like they're pygmy cannibals. They are the they are the oldest of the species of the intelligent species in the world they were they were the first creation um, or the first sentient creation elves are just like they're gypsies they're lazy i'm not saying i'm not making racial statements here i'm just saying what they what they represent in this world they're the they're connivers they're hucksters and in this dungeons and dragons world magic is almost all just absolutely evil 
there are very vanishingly few good sources of magic. The druids are probably the, the biggest one. And magic itself that traditional wizards would use is broken down into defiling magic that destroys the environment around them versus preserving magic, which it still damages the world, but they the, the spellcasters only take as much as as much magic as they need in order to actually cast a spell. They're trying to harm the world as little as possible when they cast their magic. Can we, like, play that? That sounds really messed up. I don't want to play Dark Sun. (laughs) You don't? No. Dark Sun. What if it was um, Light Sun? Is is there a reason you don't want to play Dark Sun? I don't like the the evil magic stuff. Like, I've tried to play a Dark Sun game Mm -hmm. in Wargamers, and I just didn't enjoy it. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah, that's fair. Have you guys ever heard of the Midnight um, setting? It was for 3rd edition, maybe 3.5, I can't remember when it came out. But it was it was also um, similar to Dark Sun in that the, the basic premise is that, like, the big evil god kind of won the war, and <laughs> the orcs and all the evil races just sort of blitzkrieged over the, the human and elf <coughs> lands, and... Everybody's pretty much a slave. It's spelled out pretty clearly that even if you try to do some resistance thing, you're eventually going to get crushed. Like, you're not even allowed to have weapons. You know, it's just complete occupation D&D, and it's extremely... Do you typically play the occupiers? No. okay. Well, when I played, we always played the normal races, you know, trying to fight the power, but it's... hopeless (laughs) hopeless <laughs> oh, no, let's do yeah it. i want to have my hopes and dreams crushed i had heard it described as um imagine if sauron had won in yeah. lord of the rings so so confession every game you're gonna say or any type of thing i'm gonna say i want to play it and i love it they're all just really interesting i think fantasy is so alluring because it's so different from what we deal with and it's escapism and i think bringing back to tropes that fantasy needs to have there needs to be some reason why we want to go to this world whether it's dystopian or not, there has to be some reason we want to explore it and have characters explore it. There has to be at least some sort of escapist level to it, at least in my belief. When I was a kid, one of my big fantasies was uh, being able to grab a backpack full of supplies, some nice rugged clothes and hiking boots, uh, and my twenty-two rifle with about 500 rounds of ammo. Uh, and being transported into the Lord of the Rings world. <laughs> and live like a god. <laughs> yeah. Um, and uh, specifically, I used to be like, man, what if they just just drop me into Helm's Deep? You know? I'll, I'll plank all day long. Um, well, 500 rounds worth. Um, I, I think escapism can exist in any genre, but I do think that it's very common in fantasy. I was thinking just now about the the time <clears throat> periods that... Modern medieval fantasy fiction arose out of, which is early 20th century for the most part, versus the the modern-day fantasy, like Dresden Files and all that kind of stuff that you were talking about, that so far as I'm aware is a child of round about the 80s, 90s. I can't really think of too many examples from the 70s that would be that sort of thing. It's relatively recent, right? Mm-hmm. I've I've read interviews and heard lots of people belabor the point about how Tolkien and C.S. Lewis and stuff like that are are kind of a response to the moral ambiguity of World War One and the early twentieth century and you know all that trying to 
resuscitate some idea of good versus evil. I wonder how much of the modern fantasy stuff from the 80s and 90s is is not exactly from that same kind of place, but if it's more of a, a disillusionment with, you know, the technological world that we live in that's very, like, black and white, here's how things are, it's, you know, rational, it's cold, um, it's corporate, it's... It's stuff that I think cyberpunk sort of tries to run headlong at and and deal with the problems, terrible as they are, kind of directly. But that stuff, the the modern fantasy stuff, seems to me like it's... um, Living in denial is not the word that I want to use here, but that's just the one that came to mind. But just a, a rejection of that wholesale. Is that... Does that seem fair to you guys that... I feel like you just described, without actually saying it, the entire world of darkness philosophy. <laughs> what do you mean? Considering the time when it came, when when it first started getting published, it was very ur- like it was very urban fantasy, but it was definitely just so dark and just hopeless um, in a lot of ways, and it's. You're in the modern world, but you still got all of these, sp- specifically in vampire, like these established power structures that are immortal. They are unchanging, despite the fact that the times they are a changing. <laughs> but the essentially the new blood coming in, the stories are how that change, how the, the in vampire the the um, fledglings, oh, fledgling. the fledglings are able to throughout the series um, into like, the planned meta plot, how they basically rise into their own. Mm-hmm. I'm just seeing it as a parallel to what you were describing for the intent of like William Gibson and other um, dystopia sci-fi um, authors were doing. I think calling it a rejection is fair, Jordan. It's this idea that you don't want to deal or participate in this technological uh, corporate world of interconnectivity that we're creating, well, guess what? There's a a world of fey folk and a bunch of vampire covens, and you can be a werewolf. I mean, I guess escapism is too simple, but um, I I think the way you described it's fairly accurate. Seems that way to me anyway. I enjoy the way you use words. (laughs) (laughs) Do you think, Nina, you're a big urban fantasy fan? Um... What's the socioeconomic impetus of urban fantasy? (laughs) (laughs) I'm just thinking of American Gods, Mm -hmm. because I think it really marries the whole modern day problems. Like, all of the... the, the, Have you read American Gods? I couldn't get through it. Wow. No, I completely understand that, because it took me a bit um, to save the... It's got some boring parts, my my guy. It does. Um, But did you ever get to the part with the new gods? I can't remember. It's like ten years ago. The new gods are like it. technology and celebrity and stuff okay, like that, yeah, and like things yeah. that are like currently plaguing, mm-hmm. um, particularly just, the United States. Money. money. One of them is just money. You're right. <laughs> uh, what? what was it? One of the gods, David Bowie? No. Oh no. no. I, I, are you sure? No, it's not David Bowie. That's media. Media. Who can take on the form of whichever celebrity media okay. wants. Which David so Bowie could also do. Uh, <laughs> your local weather woman. 
But yeah, that's, that was the only thing that came to my mind that didn't fit into what you were saying. Mm-hmm. I was just thinking of Neil Gaiman's other books, which... <laughs> Neverwhere. Yeah, that's still sitting on my shelf. Didn't never finish it. Urban fantasy, right? Neverwhere is yeah. urban fantasy. Yeah. I should Neil Gaiman's like book. the king of that stuff, urban mm-hmm. fantasy. Does anybody have any other fantasy series that they really enjoy or, or campaign settings or anything um, that they want to maybe bring up or recommend? No. okay shut me down yeah um i was just thinking about it and you're bringing up vampire and world of darkness because world of darkness is hands down my favorite whether it's old world or new world i think it has such an interesting mythos of pulling from things that exist and adding this level of um just like things that happen and causality like in vampire the masquerade the different like levels of how far you are from Kane, and I've just been really, really into it because I'm running a vampire campaign, and just, you know, I think it's interesting level of fantasy, because when I think about World of Darkness, I don't instantly think fantasy. Then again, I don't really think a lot of things instantly, but I, I just think it's a really cool world have as a basis of entering urban fantasy and then getting more into things like the Dresden Files, more Neil Gaiman's work, and then, of course, it just... You have to find the type of fantasy that fits you in the end. Like, whether that's extremely high fantasy, low fantasy, urban fantasy, no fantasy. You can do sci-fi. Find the type of fantasy that fits you. Because in reality, isn't it all just one big fantasy? Mm-hmm. No. Fuck you. I had a beautiful loving quote that could have just it's, put a pin in it's it. It's false. Okay, but anybody else have anything they'd like to recommend to our listeners? I would like to say why I think Elric and Mildebene is a really interesting fantasy setting. It's because it, <clears throat> along with a lot of the other things that it throws out the window as far as normal tropes, it completely gets rid of the static good versus evil cosmology of every other fantasy that, that came before it that I can think of. Its cosmology is all about law and chaos, and there's a lot of, a lot of plane hopping in those stories and you get to see a lot of different worlds where the the balance between those two forces is drastically one way or the other in gradations in between and you you go to worlds that are completely run by chaos and it's like everything is lava and fire and crazy things and you know demonic shit everywhere but then they go to places that are run by law and everything is literally frozen Nobody does anything. Everyone is just like a statue stuck in place. And the places that that are really doing the best are the places that have a, an even balance of the two. And in some worlds, the the horrible forces are chaos. In some wor- worlds, the horrible forces are law. And the same character is switching allegiances back and forth based on the context that they find themselves in. And... I think that is much more interesting storytelling than there's the dragon, let's go stab it, because that's the good thing to do. Since I was probably about 10 years old, my favorite type of fantasy, I like. I read a whole bunch of it, and then just within the past 20 years, there's been this like just absolute renaissance as far as movies being able to portray it in a way that movies have the special effects to show it and also they're actually bringing about the stories in this fantasy that um, we are right now just in the midst of 
something that if I was if I had known that this was going to be happening when I was 13, I would have um, my head would have exploded. Is just the ubiquity of comic book movies now, where comic books are every bit of urban fantasy taken in a very different direction than what we've all been talking about here. But that's been my main source of I would consider urban fantasy, even though a lot of people probably wouldn't immediately think of that as urban fantasy, but I can't think of anything that urban fantasy has that the superhero, the superhero movies and comic books don't have. Sure, it's modern-day paganism. <laughs> I hadn't thought of it that way. Like, what I know about Spider-Man. Pretty cool urban fantasy, you know? Dude gets powers, has to live his life still as a student-slash-pizza delivery guy. Does he deliver pizza? Uh, he, sometimes. He's a photographer. Sometimes. Get me pictures of Spider-Man. <laughs> And his uh, first appearance was in Amazing Fantasy 15. Well, well. I knew that. Book-wise, I'd recommend um, Watership Down, because it's it's basically a modern fairy tale. Mm -hmm. And also, it's just real creepy, my guys. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Have you seen the animated... I, yes. I actually saw it before I read the book, and I love it so much. (laughs) My teacher mistakenly showed it to us in third grade. Oh, oh, oh. God. How did did you watch the entire thing or because like, I, there's that I, first scene of like rabbit death and then you're like I don't know all I remember is are just rabbits covered animated rabbits covered in blood and, <laughs> like that sounds kind of funny but oh what color is rabbit it's, blood it's so what what color is rabbit blood red like here is yeah okay <laughs> but it's oh god <laughs> a good movie a really good book highly recommend to answer my own question. Um, <laughs> Any fans of the Dresden Files, um, I've only read a couple books in in this series, but I would recommend uh, Charlie Houston's series of modern fantasy vampire detective stories. Um, They're film noir detective. He's a vampire. Surprise. (laughs) Um, They're very cool. Just really neat elements of, like, past 30 to 40 years of history, vampires being born in that time period. You know, I I, want to say the main character became a vampire when um, uh, a rich asshole like, solicited him for a blowjob in the bathroom at CBGB and then bit him and turned him into a vampire. On the dick? I don't know where. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry. Okay, good to do. Probably not, no. But, uh, predictably, I'm going to recommend to our listeners, highly, highly recommend, one of my favorite series that I've read. Could be fantasy. Um, Fantasy readers would enjoy it. It is Sean McMullen's Souls in the Great Machine, um, there's several books in the series. That's the title of the first one. And it is far, far post post apocalypse where kind of eclipse phasey sci fi apocalypse has happened. AI gone nuts, World War Three or Four at this point. World is plunged into awfulness and people revert all the way back to early feudal states. And there are a few characters who see these wandering stars in the sky um, and attempt to communicate with what is commonly believed to be gods. Um, There's also a strange facet where anytime someone tries to develop um, an internal combustion engine or any type of any type of wireless communication um, and actually, oh shit, also also, um, uh, telegraph lines. um, Stuff just melts. And so a lot of steampunk, a lot of human-powered things uh, long-distance communication is achieved with these tall towers with magnesium flash pans and mirrors so you can, like, signal tower each other. But there are a few characters who are within the elite of society who have the freedom to study the gods and the religion. And 
I'll leave it up to the reader. But uh, really cool series. I think we've done a pretty good job of covering the history of fantasy stuff, but I'm curious what you guys think about the the future of fantasy stuff, because for me personally, I love to be a downer. <laughs> I'm kind of tired of it, because I think it's been so overdone. I Game of Thrones is the last one that really breathed some fresh air into the fantasy genre for me in popular media, but I don't know how much more that that old horse has got left in it. I don't know. I feel like there's always going to be people that need and enjoy fantasy. There's always going to be people who like the escapism of dragons and elves and Tolkienistic. That that's a new word. Uh, Tolkienistic um, adventures. Like but while I do feel like there's a lot of cliches, and I'm very intrigued as to see where the genre can go from here. I don't think it's ever going to be something that we're going to get bored of as a mass rather than individual. I mean, mm-hmm. fantasy can go anywhere for a person, but I think we have, it's fad. It follows the fad trend of like vampires were in, then mm-hmm. it was zombies, you know, in a few years, it's going to be back to like fantasy party Elves, dwarves, humans, mm-hmm. you know? So I feel like it's going to continuously follow that path. And what I would like to see from fantasy is the breaking down, da- like establish a, like a cliche and then completely revert it or break it down. I know that the, um, oh, God damn it. The, the, the fucking movie thing. I'm going to say the wrong thing and then you're all going to yell at me. <sighs> okay. I can edit. What um, is it? Okay, so it was the World of Warcraft movie, I think, and mm-hmm. they tried to reinvert the idea of like, like pious orcs or like noble orcs in the sense of like the main character is somebody from this very established like aggressive tribe, and then revert it on its head. It's like, oh, but they're noble. Oh, he really wants to try something new. So, I know you're going to see, I told you, I already made a mistake. No, you didn't make a mistake. I'm asking a question. Okay. Um, How uh, much of a downer am I if I say that 180-ing cliches has become a cliche of itself? Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's happening constantly. But you know what? People should just stop writing. We're out of ideas. (laughs) No! Well, to be fair, there are no new ideas. There are no new ideas. No, but I'm a writer, so please don't tell me that. The specific thing I'm talking about is presenting this, like, this is going to be very cliched, this is the story, and then being like, uh-oh, no it's not, I'm flipping it. I like Shrek kind of broke it. Shrek broke it. I, I haven't seen Stop. the World of Warcraft movie for obvious reasons, but <laughs> it, in that movie was, was it the setup that most of the orcs were aggressive assholes and there was like one good yes. one in the pack? Yeah, that's He was not... like the house orc or yeah. something? Yes. No, okay. it, well... <sighs> that's... <laughs> well... Hey, yeah. Am I wrong? No. <laughs> Thrall was not in this not one. Mm-hmm. So, the... <laughs> as terrible as the movie was, it did follow very very well the actual lore of Warcraft. <clears throat> okay. Was the newest movie the one of like the, the half orc girl that was like just real sexy? Garona. Yeah, had yeah. the like the tiny little things. She was in the first Warcraft game. Well she see I, I don't know anything about World yeah. War. I'm just, <laughs> just curious. <laughs> I 
I, f- I feel like it's it's pointless to try to predict where a genre is going to go. Mm-hmm. I, it's well, it's so unpredictable. True, but um, <laughs> you can have a wish list. No, <laughs> not allowed. <laughs> Haley, your idea that there's always going to be people who want classic lowercase C fantasy. <laughs> I see a lot of fantasy still becoming um, mainstream popular uh, through the young adult avenue. Harry Potter being a big one. Um, Game of Thrones is not young adult, but certainly an, uh, an example that isn't, that became huge here recently. Um, but what about, like, um, oh god, I haven't read any of these, but um, the, like, uh, his Dark Materials, or, like, Maximum Ride, or I these am. other... The Magicians. Okay. That's a big um, one right now. I don't yeah. know much about young adult, but I've seen it become popular, and then I've seen movies maybe young adult is just popular now but i've seen it become a cross-media franchise fantasy has always 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 been young adult going back to tolkien Mm -hmm. the hippies in high school and going to college and reading reading tolkien and then everything that has come since it's been on a wave of stuff that was that was popular with with the kids these days (laughs) and then just grew into what we now know is the established genres that we can't imagine what's going to come next because everything's already been done. Also, young adult will always be popular because there will yep. always be young adults. <laughs> yep. And they're they're the group of people that read the most. Well, I don't know. I might be just dumb and optimistic, but I think they were doing a lot of cool stuff in our Abena fantasy campaign. I mean, I know it follows But are we pushing I... any boundaries? You're a spider wolf! You're a spider wolf! I don't know if that's like that's a everything I, everything I do is recycled from something. The Zephyra are a wholly unique creation of me. <laughs> <laughs> um, I don't know. I just I'm really optimistic, you guys. Just I have hopes and dreams for fantasy. I think we could do it. Jordan, you touched on something that I want to I want to take a little bit further. Whenever mm-hmm. you mentioned about Neverwhere and not being able to read it, American no, Gods is the one. Or, American Gods. Read. Sorry. American Gods. I'm sure we all have it. But, and I have mine sitting in front of me, like, to remind me of what it is. Is there anything that you can think of that that is the worst thing that you have read, but it has been such a profound influence on the way you view a genre? Because Vampire um, Academy. Yes. <laughs> because personally, it is uh, Perdido Street Station. I absolutely hate it that novel i hated everything about that novel but there was so much in it that was good (laughs) what do you mean by that (laughs) okay no shit you can read the first 50 pages and then skip to page probably 300 350 and not miss a goddamn thing as far as the plot of this story it is entirely just world building that the author is doing (laughs) for 200 plus pages Ah. and it is a slog to go through it is like reading the part of the hunchback of notre dame where he where uh, dumas is describing the streets of paris and it just goes on and on and on but it is so it has helped my ability to be a game master and like describe things that are going on in the world's like giving me the the granularity in the sessions to tell you what what you're all experiencing and hope I feel like I'm giving an inkling of what I'm what I've got going on in my head 
But that's my recommendation if you... <laughs> I hate that I read it. I hate that I, I forced myself through because it was a slog. Every page was a slog to get through. But it was it had so much good material for me as a game master. For me, it was um, Vampire Academy. Because um, I read it when I was the demographic for it when I was a young teen. And there's so much... There's every aspect about it on its own is very good. There's the boarding school for these, like, magic kid Not magic, but they're vampires. And, like, there's the ruling families and, like, scandal and stuff like that. And, um, like, the lore behind the vampires is really interesting and rooted in, like, actual lore in the real ro- world for vampires. But it's... I would never recommend you read it because there's just no substance there. And I don't mean that in, oh, this is a book for young teens, don't read it, because I'm, I'd never see something like that. But even as, like, a 13-year-old girl, I was like, there's nothing happening! It's not fun to read! But I got through three of them in one day. <laughs> but there's, like, everything everything solely, like, every aspect alone is so good, and I don't know what happened when he put them all to- she put them all together. So don't don't read it. The, not a recommendation. I know this is going to sound extremely dumb and stupid. And you're I just, I just Haley, talked about stop. Vampire Academy. No, no, I don't think me? you understand. Stop prefacing things you say and just say them. Okay. We're going to listen and we're going to um, talk about it. I read a lot of really bad fan fiction because it helps me. It's fine. Specifically, like, my immortal kind of bad. <laughs> because I like to see where someone can just, like, this is something I want to put in the world. My immortal is a piece of art. I don't is, know what you're talking about. Um, They believe in it so thoroughly and they 100% go for an extreme and I feel like when I read other people do that it's like okay that means I can do that with something so for example if a player wants to do like something really extreme and absurd like you know what why the fuck not it helps me have the confidence to do things in urban fantasy-esque things and also just as a human being knowing that other people are okay with trying things that are definitely failing it just makes me happy on the inside it inspires me a lot. Am I immortal that masturbatory Harry Potter like? Yes, I would be It's ebony for most of it. It's literally ebony for most of it, and she misspelled it once, and y'all were like, "Meme." Am I defending it? No, I've read all forty-three chapters. I am certain that my immortal is meta art. Me too. Thank you. Um, here's the thing. I know too much about my mortal. I know the true story behind it. I almost made like a little mockumentary about it. Basically, there's this girl. Have um, you spoken to this? I've. I've you spoken to them. Have you spoken with them? Because I'm. I'm just going off of what I'm reading, and this I've, seems like meta art to me. Okay, so here's the thing. There's two authors. Halfway yes, through, I, it becomes yes, meta. I, Halfway yeah. through, it becomes meta art. Um, this is from my history lodging of their original Tumblr posts and I like following their original account while it's coming out and getting the backstory behind you're, it, but also not, reading all of the other I know I'm not convincing you. <laughs> this is my conspiracy that I feel like is true to my bone because I've read all of their archives of like their, <sighs> it's just really good. I'll tell you later. I just, it's a real crackpot theory. I'll like break out my, my photo board, my string. Like, I'm convinced. I know the true story. It's so good. Uh, but, uh, back on track. Somebody else talk about something, please. I really hate to throw this book series under the bus for this because it was so influential on me when I was a kid. The Dragonlance Chronicles. I read these when I was, um, I read that trilogy in the mid-90s, kind of before anybody even had a word for YA fiction. 
And it was, for those who don't know, it was the novelization of an actual Dungeons and Dragons game that some TSR employees who were working out this, this new world, um, just decided to, you know, commit to novel form. I don't think I would have fully understood how to do Dungeons and Dragons if I hadn't read this book. Um, these books, and I read many of the books in the series and loved them when I was a kid, but I wouldn't suggest them to anybody over about 16 years old at this point. If you're past that, you've probably missed the boat. I went back a couple years ago and tried to read them again, and as much as I love Margaret Wise and Tracy Hickman, I just couldn't do it. it it's a great setting. I really love the Dragonlance world. Um, I really love all those characters, but it I mean, it's YA fiction, and I've definitely outgrown it at this point. But, yeah, it, it showed me what that kind of thing is supposed to be about. Yeah, I read the first published novel when I was 19, and I was too old. Mm. Yeah. He is too old. I cannot train him. <laughs> I misunderstood your question at first, Clayton. This book did not have an influence on me in terms of how to better do an RPG but I think it's, let it be a warning, maybe an example of what not to read and how not to do things. Uh, people have always recommended or had always recommended R.A. Salvatore to me. It's Salvatore or Salvatore? I think it's Salvatore. Salvatore yeah. okay. Rob. People had always recommended R.A. Salvatore to me. And I bought some at a used bookstore. There was one called The Woods Out Back. Anybody? Uh, it's a one-off. I didn't want to get started in any other drizzizzizzizz or anything like that. Um, <clears throat> and the back of it talks about this mid-twenty-something dude, bored with his job, goes for a walk in the woods and winds up in a fantasy setting. And I was like, what? That old chestnut. And it's <laughs> awful! Very rarely do I ever put down a book in disgust and stop reading it. But this book um, starts out with the most mundane stereotypical description of your average just like what's that you're not happy with your life you have a bad job you work and hate boy i bet you can relate to this guy whose name is like greg or gary or something <laughs> and he goes for a walk in the woods just like the damn back of the book said and suddenly ends up in the most mundane average nothing original fantasy world you can possibly imagine there are elves and dwarves and mountain fortresses it's fucking terrible did he encounter a strong man with corded muscles? I think so. <laughs> Sounds about right. If, if I'm not mistaken, this is the same son of a bitch that killed Chewbacca. Yep. <laughs> Wait, what? He um dropped a moon on him. Yeah, he was he was writing the uh, the the Yuuzhan Vong books back before they completely wiped the whole expanded universe of Star Wars. Rickaroni. He was the guy who had the big idea to crush Chewbacca with a moon. Um, in a podcast, you can't see my face, but it looks like you just told me a puppy died. That's really sad. Don't worry. I'm glad no, it's not Disney, canon. It didn't happen. <laughs> Disney cured it all for us. But there's Thanks, so much Disney. that we lost, Disney. Sarcasm meter. Sarcasm meter. It's mm-hmm. flashing. Chewbacca could have taken a mood. No. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, earlier you said something about how um, we always... Uh, we're always going to want some fantasy or need some fantasy or something like that, that it'll never go away. And uh, assuming, and to me, this is true that there is a difference between fantasy, mundane fiction, 
and sci-fi, what is it that is special about fantasy, exclusive to fantasy, that offers something that, that we need psychologically that would cause it to perpetuate essentially forever? What, what can you find there that is not to be found elsewhere? A desire for something that cannot be explained. Humans are fascinated by magic. Even, like, before we had, like, the superpower-esque magic. Like, there were people that were fascinated by, like, the pagans, even though it was, like, wrong. Mm -hmm. I just think it's a fascinating concept. I think everybody is alright, you know? (laughs) Magic is something that we've always wanted to obtain. It's in everything. Sorry, I was talking away from the microphone. Um, magic is really oh, f- fuck you. <laughs> magic is cool. It is good. It's uh, seen through all sorts of types of history, and I think it's very true that that element is something that we can't explain. And I think that mystery, that fantasy, is what we're always trying to strive after. It's the reason it'll never go stale in our mouths. It's something that has always existed, and something that has been that central to the human experience. I can't see it just fading away, even in stagnation. Something's going to happen. Something's going to change. Even to the point where, well, just looking at um, how fantasy has changed in the past hundred years, we've had the rise of taking something that was very recent and completely spinning it into a fantasy genre like steampunk. I think that here in maybe 30 years, we're going to have some sort of fantasy version of what we are living now. <laughs> the The rise of uh, like social media and um, the ubiquity of the, um, or just the coming of the age of technology or the age of technology assisted communication is going to be find its way somehow into some fantasy, future fantasies genre that we can't even fathom right now. Fantasy story about a, Society with a collective hive mind would be interesting. Like, you have individual personalities, but you're all always connected somehow. Wouldn't that just through magic? Yeah, no, totally. Do you think that as time goes on, um, though now most of our fantasy stuff takes place in something roughly analogous to, say, 800 years ago or something like that, do you think as time goes on, fantasy is going to follow us historically at... roughly the same delayed interval or do you think that the medieval fantasy is always going to be a thing is there something special about that kind of civilization that that we want to live within in limited ways i think to some degree it already has (laughs) nobility and the class system and the noble knights and things like that are always going to be a thing that people Mm -hmm. think is endearing i don't know i think it's a mixture of both even at even in the Middle Ages, when the Arthurian legends came about during that period of time, and even then they were looking back mm-hmm. on this great time that happened before, approximately like four to eight hundred years before, mm-hmm. where everything was so much different and so much more fantastic than the mundanity of now. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I think that in the future, it's going to continue where... Considering how t- how our society is growing, I think it's going to be it's going to continually get to the point where the gap between something that is looked back fondly and romanticized is going to get shorter and shorter and shorter. <clears throat> Just like how now we're 
we're to the point where we're like looking back and creating fantasies about things that happened in the eighties and nineties. Now in the two Scott Pilgrim. Yep. Hmm. I I had not considered that. That's a really good point. Hell, even that seventies show. Oh yeah. Wow, that seventies show is fantasy. Oh, (laughs) new title. (laughs) Even Happy Days, made in the seventies, based in the fifties. Though I'm not arguing that Happy Days or that 70s show are fantasy. I don't know. That dream uh, Mork from Ork debuted in... Uh, uh, Mork and Mindy? Ha- that was the actual name of it. No, I'm talking the character Mork from Ork. No, no. Or showed up in the Happy showed Days Mork- first. What? Really? Yeah. yeah. Mork was from Happy Days? Right. Yeah. Shut up! Yeah. Cool, I got to find that episode. I mean, he did jump a shark. <laughs> <laughs> huh. Yeah. Wow. The Fonz had the magic of getting the jukebox to go. Right. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Even in um, mm-hmm. Saved by the Bell, they had that power where they could stop time and, and talk about things. The urban fantasy of that. I love this discussion. This is my favorite thing. I'm sorry. <laughs> like, very low fantasy that is still fantasy, i.e. the magic of getting a jukebox to work or somebody that can just always make the perfect pie or something like that. I consider that, like, an aspect of fantasy, but, like, lowest tier. It's still magic. Mm-hmm. What do you think it, it says about us that we keep looking back at history and <clears throat> very much cherry picking the stuff that we want to inhabit about it? I you think know? it's just human nature of us being really shitty. We always <laughs> want the best parts and none of the pits. I think it's part part of it is when we were kids, we were we were actually there. Mm-hmm. But when you're a kid, you're not really experiencing the world. Mm-hmm. You're you're only you're only remembering either the the good times or something that was so god awful, but wasn't bad enough for you to repress the memory. Mm-hmm. So I think that there's a lot of like n- nostalgia itself just paints rose-colored uh, glasses over everything that happened before. I wonder how far that goes. I mean, because we sort of see it uh, as, I mean, uh, as I think about some fantasy stuff like um, Deadlands, for example, I would call that a somewhat of a fantasy setting. Mm-hmm. It, it's sort of steampunky in ways, but there's definitely magic in it. But it's also sort of cherry picking history. Like, that is an age of genocide and slavery and atrocity, you know, but that's not what's going on in that game. So. I don't know, the the whole Enterprise sounds like it's very much built on denial to me. Mm-hmm. Well, this is very obviously going to be the first in a mini-part series that we do. <laughs> um, I had intentionally, I had intended for this to be just talking about, we would talk about some aspects of medieval fantasy today, and then we would like kind of tackle different subgenres. But we've barely even scratched the surface of medieval fantasy, so... This in and of itself, overarching fantasy discussion. Though. Yes, but this in and of itself is probably going to be the start in a series specifically about med- medieval fantasy. So, with that, what do you say we stop this bullshit and start rolling some dice? The dice are alive. I, I grab your d tens and your morality scales. All the times they are changing. <laughs> This has been a production of Alien Familiar Media. You can find past episodes and more at alienfamiliar.com. You can email us at alienfamiliarmedia at gmail.com. 
This production is protected under a Creative Commons Attribution No Derivatives License. Music for this episode is Suburban Outlaw by Forget the Whale and can be found at freemusicarchive.org.